He's Christian. He's Jimmer. And we're back for another episode of Two Physical Therapists and a Bag of Chips. Here we are with a bag of chips. That's a a big bag of chips. It's a B-A-B. Big bag of chips. Big uh, bag of chips. Yep. It's barbecue. I love barbecue. Yep. Snyder of Berlin. Compliments of Lisa Neely. Thank you, Lisa. Good luck in surgery today, Lisa. Have fun out there. Ooh, she's having surgery today? Yeah. yeah. Well, not today today, because today is not what today is. Yeah, but today. Okay. <laughs> yep. Excellent. And then, and then well, we're going to talk about the uh, the patellofemoral and patellotibial ligaments today. Yeah, fantastic. We're talking about all of them together because it, it, there's they not have that to. much to say about them. You so. got to talk about them as a group. So yeah. there's four of them. There's medial and lateral patellofemoral ligaments and medial and lateral patellotibial ligaments. Hence, therefore, with patellofemoral, run from the kneecap to the thigh bone. Patellotibial, run from the kneecap to the lower leg bone. Yep. Kind of guiding the kneecap more so than keeping it in place. As the literature states, as a group, they hold the kneecap in place. No. Yeah. That's what it says. They guide it. Yeah, literature can't be wrong, so Jimmer's wrong. I don't know, man. It's the same thing, isn't it, right? (laughs) I don't know. All right. Yep. As the name implies, they attach the patella to the femur and or tibia, which we've already covered. Very simple. They're named for their location. The medial patella tibial ligament is on the medial side. Of the patella. And and the the lateral patella tibial ligament is on the lateral side. I think the listeners are painting a picture. I hope they are. I think I they hope, got it. I hope they are. Plus, you're always doing a great job with the... There's some posting. Instagram photos. Photogs. I always try to start the week out with a anatomy photo. Yeah. Don't do any of the really gross ones anymore, apparently. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Sorry <laughs> if these things gross you out. Symptoms. Anterior knee pain. Your knee is going to hurt when your kneecap isn't moving like it should. So that sits in the front of your knee. Uh, Pain with sitting. That's always an interesting one. Swelling and stiffness. A feeling of buckling in the knee. Recurrent patella dislocations, which is kind of a dead giveaway. Yes. And I wouldn't really call that a symptom necessarily. Eh, Maybe. I don't know. Or a catch in the knee where it feels like your your kneecap is kind of getting stuck or catching. How this happens in most cases, either direct trauma, so a blow to the knee, a kick, a foot, a door, an accident, a fall. Yeah, a knee against a desk. Yeah, a kneecap dislocation, which would in most cases tear something around it. And these patellofemoral and patellotibial ligaments are the ones that suffer. Or a rotation or twist of the knee can result in it due to the line of pull of the quad against that rotation. So that's much more common with a valgus moment, similar to uh, an ACL tearing mechanism. Yeah. You can also tear your... Medial patellofemoral ligament. Yeah. Or medial tibiofemoral ligament. Patellotibial ligament. That one too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, leave that in. So from a... A testing standpoint, you usually see tenderness along the medial retinacular tissue, so on the inside of the ten of the, the patella, 
You can have a medial tenderness of the border of the patella as well. Those two things are basically next to each other. So The border, yeah. The border of the patella or the retinaculum of the patella. Not to be confused with the inferior pole of the patella. Yes, yes, that would be on the bottom. Uh, you can have apprehension with a lateral glide of the patella. So if someone were to, for instance, try to push your kneecap out of place in a medial to lateral direction, that would be very uncomfortable. It would be. You also have no firm end feel with a lateral glide, meaning that the kneecap kind of continues to go without anything really stopping it. The thing that's going to stop it is the patient punching you in the head. Yeah, that could be the other thing, but that yeah. doesn't, that's not what it says. That's so. not scientific enough. No, that's not scientific enough. There was a, a very good article that, uh, that covers a lot of information related specifically to the medial patellofemoral ligament. So it's the medial patellofemoral ligament review of the literature by Krebs, Kranovich, Andrews, and Ibrahim, which was published in the Journal of Orthopedics in 2018. It discusses the anatomy, which is incredibly specific, and includes such words as within the third layer of soft tissue and that sort of stuff. But what's important to know is that the MPFL is the most commonly injured Patella ligament. Yeah. Okay, not the not the most commonly injured in the knee, but the most commonly injured patella ligament. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. The uh, it discusses kind of how much of this. So the the medial patellofemoral ligament can have a congruency with the patella border of between fifty seven percent to as much as ninety eight percent. Of a connection, so it can be really across all of it, or across more than half of it. So it's a pretty good, yeah, pretty good amount of congruency there. So if you were to tear that, that stability would decrease between fifty and hundred percent, let's say. Yeah. So it's a pretty significant amount, depending on your specific anatomy. What's also interesting is is that the vastus medialis obliquus, which is your medial quad, so the the big portion of your quad muscle on the inside is potentially connected directly to the MPFL as well. So if you tear the MPFL, you can essentially have a VMO tear, distal tear, which can certainly affect the ability for that to pull it into place, so to speak, which is a thing you will read on prescriptions often. VMO strengthening for patella tracking. That's old school which is impossible to do because the VMO doesn't function independently of the other quad muscles. So No, 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 but you can do a straight leg raise with your toes pointed out, and that isolates the VMO. Does it, though? No. <laughs> no, but, but you, you could. That's, uh, yeah, it's very old school. It's very difficult, but it's still, to this day, you see it a, a, a too often, twice a month. Yeah. It comes in very, very VMO often. strengthening yeah. for patellar tracking. Yes, those structures are intimately related, which is, I think, fascinating. Yeah. With that, what you see is that 94% of patella dislocations will tear the MPFL. So that's a pretty high number. Yeah. So that's you're basically everyone. You're basically, yeah. Uh, if you've dislocated your kneecap at any point in time, you've torn your MPFL. And since it provides somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60% of all lateral restraining force of the patella, that's a pretty significant amount of loss of, of that restraining force, which is why recurrent patella dislocations are so common, basically. It comes down to this MPFL 
injury. So it's most effective between 0 and 30 degrees of flexion. So if your knee is straight to slightly bent, I guess we'll call that, that's when it's most effective. Um, as you go deeper into flexion, you get a little bit more bony congruency that helps out. But it's certainly an issue if you have a planted foot with some sort of internal rotation force applied. So a lot of people will dislocate their kneecap with their leg relatively straight if they've had a previous patella dislocation, which is uncomfortable, to say the least. Patella dislocations as a whole are most common in teenagers and young adults. In the general population, it has an occurrence of between 6 and 100,000. In the 10 to 17-year-old range, that jumps to 29 in 100,000. So mm -hmm. it's five times basically more likely between 10 and 17 than it is at any other point in your life. Maybe, Along with that... Maybe growth spurts and things yeah. like that might contribute to that. Yeah. The other uh, interesting finding is, is that taller adolescent females are at an increased risk even when compared to age-matched but shorter individuals. Okay. Something to do with probably more torque related to long bones, potentially more valgus angle, which is, is the knock-kneed position uh, coming into play, perhaps more larger Q angle, which is a wider hip relative to knee width, um, those sort of things. And then the other thing that was interesting is that overweight males are at more risk for recurrent patella dislocations. Hmm. Well, that would so. explain why Ian just had another one then. I mean, yeah, what is he, uh, 127 pounds? <laughs> no, 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 no. He's up to like a 140, I think, 145. It's all that beer weight he's carrying around. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy, Ian. Sorry, buddy. That stinks, man. Other predisposing factors are things like patella alta, which is a kneecap that's high, uh, lateral patellar tilt, trochlear dysplasia, increased Q angle, genu valgum, vastus medialis muscle, hyperplasia, uh, ligament laxity, external tibial torsion, subtalar joint pronation, and increased femoral antiversion, which is all fancy ways of saying a leg that's not super straight up and down. Yeah. So you tend to see an increased rolling in at the ankle, an increased uh, hip internal rotation, increased knee position relative medial versus lateral. So again, think knock-kneed position and kind of base it off of that. If you're slightly more knock-kneed, you're more likely to be predisposed to a patella dislocation and then to a MPFL injury. And so in order to properly correct and strengthen that, the most likely muscle to strengthen would not be the VMO. No, it would be the glute med. There you have it. So your butt muscle. Get your butt going. That'll help you control your knee position substantially more than, than your VMO. So your VMO doesn't actually really control rotation at your knee at all? No. So you can also do some ankle work sometimes, which can be big. Yep. But that's that's uh, for a different show, different, different time. Di different case-to-case -case stuff. Because we, I mean, almost nobody ever talks about these patellofemoral and patellotibial ligaments. It's definitely something to pay attention to, and it's something to be to be aware of. We're starting to see a lot more reconstructions come through the door um, versus the old school technique of uh, of like a lateral release with a medial reefing. Reefing. <laughs> I haven't seen one of those in a while, thank goodness. Which is basically just a good way to charge somebody... $50,000. We used to get, I kid you not, we'd get at least one a week. Yeah. That was all they did. So they'd cut the outside of your 
basically they'd release your lateral uh, patellotibial and patellofemoral ligament and they would uh, tighten up the Suture, capsule. Suture up the medial capsule, yeah. 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 And um, it's a very non specific treatment. Very hard to, because it's kind of a, an educated guess, yeah. like how tight and how loose. And so a lot of times the pain symptoms didn't go away and the knee was definitely not more stable. And eventually the, the knee dislocation, the kneecap dislocation would reoccur. Perfect. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's that's a, a for a different show. We, we should have a show about like failed surgical theories or, or, yeah because we can we can add a couple to that basically it's not it's not done uh, i hope it's not done anymore it's not done very very wait well, i mean we definitely don't see it that much no. which is good no. i haven't seen one in a while thankfully no. no but so they are doing mpfl reconstructions essentially where they take a either a cadaver or um or part of your hamstring which which I think is interesting, but they'll they'll do that and they'll do they'll reconstruct it. So they'll they'll basically attach two portions of it to the kneecap and they'll basically loop it and then they'll screw that loop down near the insertion uh, or origin, uh, depending on your definition, near the adductor tubercle. So yeah, it's pretty um, neat. Saw one of those. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Good outcomes. Yes. Yeah. Great outcomes. Lacrosse player. Towards ACL, they went in there, they they found a significant tear or a complete tear, the MPFL. And so they decided to uh, reconstruct that as well, since they were in there anyways. A good friend, the brother. Yeah. 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 Nice. And he did, he did well. Yeah. Probably this is going to be a much more effective technique for tackling recurrent dislocations because you're actually correcting the anatomical loss. Yeah. M- probably much more effective than... than bracing or strengthening or stabilization or yeah but it all depends on the, the level of destruction the level of instability obviously but yeah um i i could see this becoming a more common surgical procedure with um way more effect than the lateral release medial reefing procedure yeah and with that said we still see a lot of individuals that do excellent with what we what we would call non-surgical intervention. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And like you just so. um, like you pointed out in the beginning, you know, when if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, um, this is definitely not a surgery to have. This is a surgery that you would have in your early adolescence or or, or uh, 20s, 20s, early and 20s. It's a reoccurring be. problem. Yeah, this should, this surgery should never be your go-to yep. start, right? So if you have a patellar dislocation or you have a MPFL tear, you know. You're always going to start off with the rehab and see how stable you can get things. Definitely. Yep. Also for another day, the tibial tuberosity relocation. Oh, tibial tuberosity, the osteotomy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For another day. We'll yeah. talk about that on another yeah. day. But another thing that presents often with recurrent dislocations. But that'll cover our patellofemoral, patellotibial ligaments for now at least. Fantastic. Yep. Trivia? Absolutely. Credit where credit's due. From a few episodes ago, which Dutch artist painted girl with a pearl earring? Johannes Vermeer. We'd correct answers from Pippa, Kate, Cindy, Susie, Caitlin, and in a pretty good effort by Tony Crea, but not not quite. He was off by a few <laughs> decades, but but he did okay. <laughs> nice job, Tony. This week's answer 
is the last week's question, which is, who was the last person on the moon? Which is, of course, Commander Eugene Cerna. And mind you not, my patient Jen, mm -hmm. who came in last night, mm -hmm. nailed it. She did. Absolutely nailed it. So kudos to you, Jen. Yep. I had no clue. Yeah, so Eugene Cerner, obviously Commander Eugene Cerner, was uh, the Apollo 17 mission commander. He was the last man on the moon. He traced his child's initials in the dust before climbing the ladder of the lunar module the very last time. What's interesting about Apollo 17 is that it holds records for longest moon landing, largest lunar sample, longest time in orbit, and longest total moonwalks. They spent... A long time up there. NASA got really good at putting men on the moon in the 70s. Yeah. Can't and, do it uh, now. Crazy. You know, we were uh, no longer funded. Congress decided to cut funding for the space program. And uh, now it's uh, 50 years later and uh, nobody's been back. Haven't been there since. But they are working on the Artemis Project, which is, of course, the sister of Apollo. Absolutely. I love that. It's just yeah. brilliant. Which is the plan to bring the first woman to the moon and... The next man, as the name fantastic. Of the I wonder if the moon has moved. Like they used the old calculations and they overshooted by two hundred miles, or that would sink. Yeah, well, those, those those were good calculations. They used yeah. pen and paper. They they didn't mess around back then. That they were they was were good. legit. Was it called uh, hidden figures? Yes. Yeah, you always get that wrong. Was it screwed up numbers? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yep. This week's question. When was the snowiest recorded year in Denver's history? That may have something to do with the recent occurrence of the white fluffy, not necessarily fluffy stuff. So we got uh, we got week. three inches of snow on September 8th, yeah, which is crazy. almost the earliest snow we've recorded, which belongs to September 3rd. So we got pretty close to that. But, uh, but give us the yeah. snowiest year yeah. in Denver. And that's like a winter, so we'll get we'll give you a two year stretch where you can kind of nail that one, I guess. Gotcha. Okay, because you go from you go two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty, right? That's yeah. a, that's the season there. It goes ju ju June to July is how the seasons are recorded. Gotcha. Obviously, okay. right? Because yeah, that's a year. That. Can we do chips now? Yes, it's chip time. For chips, Snyder of Berlin barbecue. Thank you again, Lisa. We are very appreciative of. Some barbecue-flavored potato chips here. Berlin, Pennsylvania. Berlin. These are actual potato chips made with uh, potatoes, unlike the... Uh, the other things. The uh, things made from rice. Down the hatch. I'm getting paprika right off the bat here. Mm-hmm. It's a little sweeter. You got... There's a little... Yeah. Not sugar, but definitely sweeter. The chip itself was a little, little soft. Yeah, but I think we're uh, we're both kettle chip guys, right? So, oh, yeah. And by the way, uh, Marianne, I am not picky when it comes to chips. I I do, however, know what I like and what I don't like. Due diligence here, right? Yeah. I like these. I like the flavor. There's a little bit of spice coming now. A little, a little spice. They're pretty salty, too, which is, which is nice. Not super crunchy. Serving size is about 17 chips. Well. In your dreams. That's about half of a serving size. Right. Can't help it. Oh, it says it has uh, something of paprika. I like it. I'm going to give it... Um, Extractives of paprika. I'm still only going to give it one thumb. Yeah. 
But I'm only going to give it one. The chip consistency is not there for me. No. Flavor's little, good. little too thin, but put this on a kettle chip and I'd eat the whole bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so pretty good. Like it. These are going to be good. Smoke, the, a little smoke in there somewhere. It's going to be good for the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. Stop by if you want to try. Definitely. Thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to cover, per listener request from Luke, myofascial innovations. Things like foam rollers, Theraguns, Theracanes, etc. And we will be reviewing the Deep River Sweet Maui Onion. Compliments of Jimmer. Can't remember I got those. On a trip. It's yeah. Auburn, I believe. Maybe it was Holland. One of the trips. I've been in Holland in a while. If you liked today's episode, please tell your friends, follow, review, subscribe. If you are looking for more information on the patellofemoral and patellotibial ligaments, give us a follow on Instagram throughout the week and or Twitter. We will be posting more information on there. Uh, I will definitely post the link to that article and uh, hopefully get you guys a little bit more educated on this topic. Send your trivia answers. Definitely do that. If you want more information about rebound therapy, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. He's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.